Okay, people. Yes, yes, yes. As promised, this week it is a two-parter, and you are now into part two. Oh, shit. We are looking at uh, an interesting new film, right? Feature debut, uh, The Secret of the Shinnashay. Yes, 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 yes. So, people, sit back, listen to the review, and then we will be with the director himself um, to uh, talk all things the film and the creative process. It's a, it's a funny conversation. Wi-Fi does uh, rear its dodgy head. There are a couple of moments that are a bit like, ah, but we persevere. We make it work. So, people, I hope you enjoy. But, yeah, let's start off with the review. Let's go. Okay, people. So, I always find it interesting when kind of, hmm, Themes of films interlock, right? And it's not quite what I mean, right? It is when you come across something in one film and then another film touches on that, a part of that thing, but in a completely unrelated way. You know what I mean? Do you, I don't know if you're following me, people. All right, let's just try and uh, get into this a bit more. Okay, so um, I've just watched The Secret of the Chinchi, which is a new... Ooh, it's like a horror film, right? It's a horror film from um, Stephen Graham. He wrote and directed. It's his first feature film. You know, so um, he did that. And he worked with, like, he, he's a creative partner, Nate Boyer. You know, they've got their own production company together. Um, also producing on the film is Charles Arthur Berg. Uh, we got Lynn K. Diarago. Um, the Aronga, even. Uh, we've got Graham himself. Executive producing is Jose Martinez Jr. and Joe Newscombe. And um, associate producer is Elliot Ersham. Music is... Uh, Gary Rogola and Ricky Rook. Cinematography is Logan Fulton. Uh, it's edited by Elliot Esmeron. Um, casting is Kyle Crand. Production design is Victoria Hersey. Uh, costume design is Samantha Markey and Jordan Pacquio, right? So um, the gist of the film, right, is 
this. Okay, so an industrial tow truck driver suffering from insomnia returns to his childhood home after the untimely death of his father to discover that a paranormal presence has been living in the house and haunting the sacred land it was built upon. Ooh, kind of eerie. Now, the 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 connection is so a couple of weeks back right a couple of weeks back we looked at um oh god what was the name of this one it was the new lost town monsters film right um secrets of the Ah, uh, it was like the werewolf skinwalker, right? Do you remember that one, people? Um, I forget how you pronounce the name of the damn thing. Um, let's see if we can try and find that one for you. Do do do. Okay, I think this is it. No, that's not it. But it might be here. here. Ah, yes. The Ragaroo, that's it. Right, and so part of that was a legend about a, a, a tribe um, who'd kind of made this pact and, you know, became skinwalkers. And if you stole anything from their land, you know, the skinwalkers would come to reclaim that, right? So that was their kind of legend. And in this film, Secret of the Shinache, and I do think the Shinache was the tribe um, mentioned in the, the, the Ragaru film, right? And so, yes, if you, you know, we start off at the beginning of the film. So, it, the beginning is kind of crazy because, you know, we, we see these kind of snowy landscapes and we're hearing this, like, beating noise, like a heartbeat, right? We, we see a tree with something carved into it and then we kind of pat the camera's panning and we, we see a guy and he seems very panicked and he's running and then he kind of falls over and he seems very scared, Right? Then we cut to two kids playing in the snow. Um, the boy is kind of like a little fire and something. And he starts to dig and he pulls out like an arrowhead. So his sister then is like, oh, well, you got, he pretends he hasn't got anything. They go home. We see them by the Christmas tree. It's just, I think, three days before Christmas or the day before something, right? And we see him by the Christmas tree. Something happens. And now we're with an old guy. He's a sheriff. And it's weird because he's being interviewed in his own home. Right? Being interviewed in his own home. Getting asked questions like, so what happened? How did the boy get to your house? You know, do you understand what happened to you? you know, your, your son, 
And and so we hear all of this, and then they they go up the stairs to find the boy, um, Will, and he's hiding in a closet, and he's like, they're coming, they're coming, ah! You know, and it all goes a little, and then it's present day. And so essentially, it, you know, the, the kind of just what we, we, we kind of get is that someone has come for what he stole, right? That, that that's a thing. So we jump to the present day, and we've got relate, you know, relate, relate, realtor, a realtor at that house, at the house that the the boy, the girl, and the mum were at before everything went insane. So we have that, and yeah, she she's kind of in this house and. You know, there's been issues, right? Because people know what that house is. They know what happened in that house. You know, like you know, with the age of the internet, people, you know, they can find out shit. You can't hide what happened. So, you know, there's issues. People don't want to move in, obviously. And um, yeah, you kind of there's the sense that there's something there with her. Right, and then she kind of feels something, sees something, and she she gets out. She gets out. We then jump to our um, oh, we jump to Will, right? So we jump to this guy, and he's working. Um, he gets a phone call, goes to a place. He's told, "Oh, your dad's dead." He's like, "I haven't spoken to him for ages." Oh, and he's like, "Oh, and you get the cabin." Right, so I think at first you have no clue who he is, right? Because the way, like, this film is interesting, but it jumps around so much, so much that so there's there's so often things happen and you're not quite clear the chain of events or anything like that. Because what it seems like at the very beginning. I assumed that the guy we see who gets the inheritance is the son of Will, the little boy we see at the beginning. That's what I assumed. But it's not. It is actually the little boy grown up, right? Not not that clear. Not that clear at all. And also the thing is, I think it, it, it's the way certain things go down that you kind of feel like there's no sort of familiarity, right? The, the way he acts is if he's never lived in this place or, you know, he, he wasn't part of these horrible events that took part in this place. You know, it's all a little bit like, mm, what? You know, which is... Is a little crazy and a little bit weird. It's something that does kind of go throughout the film, right? There, there's certain things that go down, and you're like, wait, they're meant to be, huh? Okay. Because after, you know, he goes to the house, and uh, there's a lot of weird things going down. You kind of see things, you know, there's like, um, there's a city where he, he's doing something and he turns around and it's like we see something kind of 
scurry past, like in, in the door jam, and he's like, whizzes past. Then he's in bed, and the window starts to open. Window, so his dog is growling. And he so he wakes up and then he's just looking, looking, he sees the window, and he's like, Hello? Hello? Suddenly there's something behind him. Right? Something to see something behind him. He turns around, then it's kind of gone. But we see footprints in the snow. So it's like, huh, what what's happening here? Like, what's going down? But, you know what I mean? He keeps him getting told, return it, return it. But he's acting like, what's happening? And see, this is the weird thing. So we have all of that, right? And we then jump to this female detective and her daughter. So she's moved from Boston to this place. The kid doesn't want to be there. And, you know, we kind of, we're getting gists of so many different reasons why she's there. You know, like, firstly, you think, oh, she's there on a break. But she's working. Yeah, so you're like, okay, is it meant to be a break or is it a reassignment? Because then she's talking to someone and it's she's talking about, oh, I didn't know this was a lateral move. And I thought, right, so you're like, okay. But then, you know, uh, uh, something goes down. So she gets called out. Another detective turns up to help. Who is her ex, right, is the dad of her kid. Which is all a bit like super convenient, but then he, he like throughout the film, he's kind of like, "Hey, I think why don't you go back to Boston? You're keep you're meant to be here on a break to relax." And so it's just like, "Wait, why are they here? You're either, is is she reassigned? Is this a break? Like a holiday? Like what's going on? You know, like the the way they interact." you wouldn't really think that they'd been an item. You know, like, the way he kind of talks to her, you wouldn't think that he's, you know, hoping to reconnect, which he does mention, right? So it all gets a little squirrely. A lot of these relationships and how everything is meant to fit together, and you're just like, wait... Oh, this is super confusing. What's happening here? You know? But I will say, over the confusing elements of the script, they do create this really eerie, sinister vibe. That is done very well. You know what I mean? Like, you do feel like... Wait, what's happening here? That's super. Oh, fuck. Ah. You know what I mean? They they capture the elements of the story very well. It's just the story does get a tad confusing. Right? It is like we have scenes that then cut to something else, and you're like, 
wait, weren't you like towards the end? There's a scene, and someone's in a basement, right? Everything goes kind of crazy. Then something happens on the outside, and we had the guy come out of somewhere else. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa wait, hold on. We we last saw him in a base. How could he have come? What? You know what I mean like it didn't really make any sense? You know, there's a lot of there's some weird little things, and I kind of assume stuff was cut, right? Stuff was cut, which then you know led to people being in other places, which you would never have assumed, you know, because a segment of the film was, you know, moved, right, which is unfortunate for sure, right, because there are circumstances and things that don't always make sense, you know, don't always make sense, we do fall on that thing where people just don't talk to each other, Right, they're gonna do something, but they don't talk. Which you're like, wait, what? And especially when it's the police, because you're like, wait, your training is to talk to your partner, right? You wouldn't go to these situations without telling your partner, like, what's going on? Like, huh? You know, that was kind of weird. It was kind of weird. You know, we we have all of these just odd things going down. You know, there's there's something with um, the daughter at one point in the film. And there's never a, wait, who's the babysitter? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like, wait, where's she going? Where's she going? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Surely you left her with a babysitter. So why aren't you calling the babysitter firstly? You know, it, it's, yeah, I, I don't quite understand exactly how it all went a little askew. You know, as mentioned, I think it's probably, you know, due to cutting segments and all of that. But, yeah, no, the film, it, it, it does capture the creepy world, right, so, um, yeah, Graham did say about the piece, of, can, uh, where is this, yes, um, this is a deeply personal film that tackles incredibly challenging themes of xenophobia, childhood trauma and mental health issues testing the confines of the horror thriller genre and i i can kind of see what he's saying right you can definitely see that there's probably childhood trauma galore but we don't really see it addressed Right, we see things go down, but we don't see a lot of times the cause 
or the subsequent, you know, logical effect of that thing. You know, there's a scene where he's like, he keeps on getting these weird visions, Will, right? And he's at work and he collapses and his colleague finds him the next day and he's like, oh, not again. So obviously there's a thing that had been happening a lot. We don't know this, you know? And then you kind of feel, well, if it's been happening a lot, what has he been doing? Because you know, if you were, you know, a part of this horrific thing that happened as a kid, you haven't seen your dad for years, obviously for a reason, but then, you know, we don't know what has he been doing to try and deal with these circumstances, Right throughout, as I mentioned, throughout the film, he's getting told, return it, return it. But it's like he acts like he has no clue of what's being asked of him. Right? It, yeah, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's very inconsistent. But I think what we see with Secret of the Shinche is that yeah, Graham definitely has talent. It's definitely talent here, right? There, there, there's elements, there's parts of this film that work really well. But I think he, he needs a... I mean, you say, you know, he needs a steadying hand on the editing, maybe. Or, you know, just someone to point out, yo, I think we should. But that is part of the whole learning curve. Like you watch anyone's first film to then say, I don't know, let's just say the fifth film, right? You always see an evolution. There's always this progression in how people tell stories, the way they interpretate, interpretate, interpret things on the screen, you know? So, yeah, I just think, you know, this, yeah, this is just a raw Graham. Right. And it will be interesting to see what he does next and how, you know, his storytelling developed. Because, yeah, there, there's something here. There is something here. Now, this definitely isn't, you know, the finished article, the, the piste de resistance. It's not this. It's interesting, though. Right. And I do think. A horror fan, you know, if you enjoy the whole kind of skinwalker kind of folklore kind of um, story mechanisms, you may enjoy this. You know what I mean? And this may well speak to you, but um, yeah, it's probably not the best version of this that you have seen. But not necessarily the worst. You know, we could definitely do with some character development, you know, just with some stuff just to make things a little clearer. And when I say clearer, I obviously, we don't need a, well, 
this person is related to this person and blah blah but you don't need all of this right but you just need to make certain things a bit more you know what I mean succinct like if we see someone in one place you can't in the next scene have them somewhere completely different but like Oh, they've literally just gone from here to here. Like, because it, it makes no sense. You know, like if there's a a time gap or something, fine. It 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 would work more. But yeah, it's just these little things. I would say need fine tuning. But yeah, I I, I think aficionados of the genre, I think they might enjoy this. You know. What I mean? Like, and especially for the good points, right? And to see the potential, which, uh, yeah, I feel Graham definitely has, right? So you will be able to see this on Friday, the 8th of October, right? So it's going to select cinemas and all your favorite VOD platforms, you know, so, um, yeah, just Apple, um, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Voodoo, Comcast, Spectrum, you know, just wherever you get your films, people, Secret of the Sanchai will be there. So, what are you going to do? Well, people, one thing you should do, don't take stuff from sacred ground. Okay, you are warned. All right, so uh, yeah, watch how not to uh, do these things in Secrets of the Sanchai. Okay, people, so that's the review. Now, let's get into our interview with Stephen himself to talk all things Secret of the Sanchai. So, uh, yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, as mentioned, the, the sound gets a little funky because of the Wi-Fi went a bit crazy on us. But, hey, still a great conversation. People, go enjoy it right now. All right, let's go. Okay, people, so I'm here with Stephen Graham. Is that how you pronounce yes, it? Graham? Yes, sir. Splendid. Yep. So Stephen, um, he's got his feature film directorial debut. That that's yes, right, sir. right. Yeah, yeah. The secret of the Shinoshe. Sinchini. 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 Yeah, it... tough last name, <laughs> tough, tough title, but we're there. We got it. <laughs> so the funny thing is, a few weeks back, I actually watched. Um, oh gosh, it was. The Legend of the Ro Ruha Ruha is like I'm from Small Town Monsters. Mm. It was a documentary about um skinwalkers. Oh wow, okay. And they had in it they were talking about this legend of um being on sacred ground and people taking like arrowheads and things like that. So mm. one woman was like, "Yeah," and so I took this arrowhead when I was a kid, and 
then suddenly I was getting visited. I got visited five nights in a row, mm. telling, kept on telling mm. me, put it back, put it back. I don't know why she didn't put it back the first time, but, <laughs> but it took four more times. And then eventually she put it back and then stopped getting visited. But yeah, when, when I saw yours, it was just like, oh, huh, that, that, that's kind of interesting. There's been a lot of reports of that. There's a lot of over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, a lot of, you know, disrupting, disturbing a sacred burial ground is, uh, is, uh, you know, mm. rule number one, not to break. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, it wouldn't compel me to be, you know, there's like, you've heard the rumors. A rumor is good enough. Yeah. I'm not taking that yeah. risk of, of doing yes. that kind of thing. But yes. um, one person that would take that sort of risk seems to be Oliver. <laughs> no, Will. Yeah. Will. will yeah yes will yes yeah got my films name yeah on, well man. the young will uh was compelled by it in the movie but as you learn without any spoilers is that you think it's going to go into that direction and you realize what that burial ground really what it means to, to the story and to will to will's story mm. to will's journey and um, so I think like in keeping with um, his, like historically correct, you know, attributes um, in the indigenous community, I've done a lot of research and, and then obviously with my own lineage um, to, to, to get it right, where that component is sort of the impetus to, to his journey as a child and for what's to come. And it kind of come full circle in his adult life. Oh yeah, it definitely does that. Yes. You know, I I was really just I, I, I thought the way you conveyed anxiety and fear, I thought for a first time director, you really hit that. Right? I, I thought there was those moments of the films where I was just like, oh, and you just felt like really just tense for the person to be like, oh don't, 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 don't. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, I feel like, you know, identifying, you know, in my own anxieties in my own life and what that feels like. And then, of course, you know, working in the veteran communities, you know, we hired 10 veteran military veterans and, and one gold star sister on this movie. And um, having worked, having sat with having, you know, fellowshiped with veterans and, and their own anxieties of post-traumatic stress. Um, mental wellness, all of those things informed my filmmaking. And then, of course, you add this beautiful award-winning score by Gary Regula and Ricky Rook, uh, you know, that really elevates the picture. Um, all those elements are there. So um, I'm glad that that <laughs> I'm glad that you felt that. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's one of those things with horror films, right? Or you know, kind of these supernatural thriller type of things where I think sometimes people show you too much, right? And sometimes it's more slashy than suspenseful. And I right. just thought that 
because I remember watching um, the thing, and you don't see mm. it until right right at the end of the film, right? But throughout the film, you're just like, oh, this is yeah. so uncomfortable. And I thought it was like the first Aliens film. There's not yes. a, a crazy exposure of the, you know, the specter in the room, as it were. Yeah, I, that was obviously, you know, intentional. I, I felt like movies that I had enjoyed, like, like you know, Signs, the M. Night Shyamalan mm. movie, where Joaquin Phoenix actually sees the alien on that home video. And it's like him jumping out of his chair was all of our experience in the audience, jumping out of like, oh, my God. But we had to get to that point. And so for me, I wanted this to simmer. I wanted it to be a bit of a slow burn so you live with the characters you 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 have a better understanding of them and their plight. So when you get to those moments in the in the story, that you have a lot more invested in that. And I kind of felt like it was more interesting to kind of let that build and that simmer of you know slowly piece by piece by piece by piece until it crescendos into this um, this paranormal experience. Mm. Yes. Now. When you're kind of having to relay that to your actors, right? Does your background in acting, does that help you do that? Or like, how do you yeah. find yourself, you know, conveying things to people? Right. So I've been in the business as an actor for about 20 years. Uh, I started out when I was pretty young and, and um, I worked with a lot of, uh, great directors. I worked with, you know, some not so great directors and I've worked on, had the fortune to work on some studio films, some really, you know, some lower budget fare, television, all that sort of stuff. And so you really pull from that. But I think on a very sort of visceral level, directing an actor as actors, you know, you're inclined to want to give so much, right? You have, you know, you as soon as you call action as a director, you know, a lot of actors, they want to just give, they feel like they have to do something interesting because, you know, the camera's on them. Mm -hmm. So I found that in a lot of my direction, it was actually just containing a lot of the performances and having more restraint to allow the audience to feel it rather than necessarily the actor to. And um, I also feel like there's a lot to be said about nuance and subtlety. So, um, you know, some of the great directors that I've worked with where I felt compelled, like I felt like my character would want to, you know, take it, you know, whatever it is in that emotion up a notch or whatever. Typically, you know, some of the greats were always like smaller, just like, you know, you're right here. The story is right here. If you tell the truth, the eyes don't lie. And so that always stuck with me to allow, let the camera do some of the work and the movement, let the score do some of the work. And um, and I think if it comes, you know, what's what's said from the heart goes to the heart. And I always felt like as long as my actors, whether they were the child actors or, you know, the adults in the film were giving something honest, um, I, I always felt like we were in a great place. And I felt like I managed to get, you know, beautiful performances out of everybody that I, I'm, I'm very proud of them all. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what is it like working with the child actors? Because I think it's it must be, you know, there's definitely a different thing of working with child actors on a comedy to something like this. So how do you get them to show that fear? 
right? But without, you know, messing up the kid, as it were. Well, that's you know, um, spoke to the parents of all children in the film. I gave them my word. You know, I'm never going to manipulate your child to think something's that's actually. I want them to always feel safe on set. I'll get the performance. We'll get there. If I can talk through it, we'll get there. I didn't want to pull any tricks. This thing, um, you know, that you can achieve is to trust the child. And you want the child to feel like this place. And then you start to create together. So, you know, in working through this, children, by the way, we're all just, you know, all of them, uh, Oh, is, think... has her own show called Gabby's Dollhouse on Netflix, which is a, a big hit. Lila had experience uh, uh, with acting. You know, it was it was very easy uh, to direct her. Um, she's wonderful. She plays Ava in the film. The other two children, who is Will and Grace, Grace and Will, um, they were acting before. Oh, okay. You know, I was to they're very very smart various children and you know i was able to to allow them to, to just trust their own instinct i mean they often the worst thing the worst thing you can see on camera is a child like they felt. and i wanted these children just to be thing uh in in their in their freedom of of, of a child for us to follow would be to uh, or everything did create feel like they could just be, and then it was our job. Oh, I'm I'm you're breaking I, up a bit. Can you hear me? I think it's an internet connection uh, issue. Hmm. <laughs> Technology people, it, uh, yeah, it sometimes bites you in the ass can do some amazing things, have conversations with people across, you know, the continents, but <laughs> a pesky Wi-Fi connection can really, uh, yeah, get in the way of things, it would seem. But we will persevere. We will try and make this work. Hopefully, Stephen will be back with us soon. And um, we can finish off this conversation. But, uh, yeah, no, the, the kids do a really good job, a really solid job in this film, people. You know, really good performances. So it's interesting to find out that, you know, not a, a whole heap of um, direction. But um, I think we're going we're gonna to finish here. Uh, we'll see what you can do. Okay, hopefully we'll be back, but um, who knows?
Okay, so we are back. Um, yeah. Whew. Wi-Fi connections. But, boom. Those child <laughs> actors, yeah. No, they they really did a, a very, very good job. You know, as I think especially at the end when um, Grace is with Ava. That, yes. That got... That went super creepy from like yeah. zero to a hundred. That was just like yo. What? Yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting because um, the the young actress that plays Grace, uh, Alexa Leopold, um, she is the sweetest, most soft-spoken, sprightly child, and so it was interesting to like create this environment where she felt free, like she knew the character, where she could really. really sort of come out of her shell. As much as I try to keep it very subtle uh, to play true to the mythology of the story, um, yeah, the children in the film are just wonderful. I mean, I, I'm so grateful that, um, you know, that they they were, they were felt so free to express themselves in the, in the movie. Mm. No, yeah, that, it, yeah. I, I was very impressed with that. I, I have to ask, who did your... Um... Who did the artwork for within the film? Like, you know, we see the, the picture of, um, you know. Yeah, so I I had, um, there, was, there was multiple artists uh, and I, I originally wanted, I was going to go, you know, within the indigenous community and have somebody do it. And then I thought, no, it's a perversion. It's the cult that's doing it, right? It's, it's, mm. it's a perversion of something that's so pure. And then I thought, I don't want, it, it should come from a different place. It should come from somebody outside of the indigenous community that's trying to replicate something, trying to replicate uh, the, the occult. Yeah. And so I went in that direction. And so um, there's two different local artists uh, that did it. I had given some images of, through my research and um, obviously, you know, we were we were blown away. The um, without any spoilers, um, there was uh, I was, you know, in, in some of the artwork that was turned in. Um, it mean, was just it's just haunting. I mean, I I, I, co I couldn't believe you know how how incredibly impactful it was. Mm, yeah, no, I was super impressed with that. Yeah, that was very good. Um, so with the rest of the film, right? So mm -hmm. where did like the idea come from to kind of, you know, tell this story? Well, I think the general rule usually is to like write what you know, and that rule can be broken. I mean, I'm, you know, I spent last year writing a heist movie and um, throughout COVID while I was cutting Sinchini. And I worked with the LAPD and, and, and you know, very closely. And, and there were so many things I obviously didn't know. Um, this, there's usually, it's your storytelling is rooted somewhere within your soul, within your spirit. And this definitely was. So the, you know, part of the impetus to, to start writing this story was, you know, a part of it was spending a lot of time in Western Massachusetts, unearthing a lot of the, the history of atrocities against indigenous people. 
even what's going on right now where they're in the process of renaming uh, Turner's Falls, which is one of the towns we shot into, to Great Falls because of the dark history behind that. And of course, uh, coming from Canada, we've just, you know, we're learning now of the um, residential schools and, mm. you know, the, the tragic, you know, remains that have been found underneath these schools. I mean, it just goes on. And so, you know, I felt like this was a story that needed to sort of come out with me. The paranormal element was my, was the Western Massachusetts and the winter influence on me. But the core of the story of the Cinchini of, you know, being in search of one's own identity. Um, you know, when I, I shared my own personal story with some of the, um, with actually in particular with um, Anthony Skyhawk, who is, um, one of the elders at the Massachusetts Center of Native American Awareness. And I'd share, I shared my journey through my own heritage and discovering, you know, coming to terms with a lot of my lineage and, and you know, reconnecting with, with my cousin and whatnot. And he said to me, when I shared that, he said, you know, there are so many people in our community that don't actually know, they don't know what tribe they came from. They've so much of that was eradicated over hundreds of years that, you know, we have elders here that just don't know. And he said, uh, welcome home. And it really hit, uh, it really hit, it really did hit home for me because, um, you know, as you see in Will's journey in the movie, you know, he's, he's, he's unaware of what many of the things mean, symbolism mm. to him. He's not emotionally available to that. Um, until he is. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like it just, it, it just came from such a personal place. You know, when you're filling, you're writing by hand and filling journal by journal, sometimes you just don't, you don't question where this is coming from. You just continue, uh, try not to edit your thoughts. You'll wait, you know, when you're doing the screenwriting process to get into that, to kind of refine the story. Um, but, so I think it was both of those. I think it was both my own personal experience. And I think that it was also my experience uh, in doing my research uh, for that part of the country, um, especially that part of the state of Massachusetts. Okay. Oh, that's cool. And I was definitely, I mean, there's so many interesting components to this, right? We're, you know, we got out returning police detective and her lineage and you know that she doesn't it seems that she doesn't fully understand and then when she does that it, she realizes the ramifications on her so we have all of mm -hmm. that you know there, there's her partner you know just all of these things come together and they do they work within the story they really do work I did think it felt like there were some gaps maybe in the story on on just in our knowing of what's happened and you know time frames and things like that but when you're creating this how do you try and keep track of you know the, the the story and okay so we're, we're now at this point and all right we're bringing these people in but their background mm -hmm. will affect this and how you like 
you know, keep you map it out. I mean, I had mapped it out on a board of the sort of the storyline, not just in my head. So I knew my editor knew like what we were going to do. And then we tried different things of like, um, you know, I want you, I thought, I thought it was really important for the audience to see some of these flashbacks to, to an extent Mm. where I didn't want to show everything but I felt that it was really important that they 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 had an opportunity to see just what it was like for these kids back in the 90s during this horrific event and what led up to it. I felt it was very important, especially because we come back to it at multiple times throughout the film. And I didn't want to do these throwaway flashbacks of this quick cut of something so flashy and tragic and horrific and cut back to present or, you know, I, I felt it was once we're there, we live in that space of that flashback. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I wanted to give my audience um, credit. So when you talk about gaps, I wanted to give them credit for being able to fill in their own narrative in those gaps. That was actually intentional. Like, what does that mean to you? Or what do you think that that means? And so in the story, when we come back in about the second act again into some of the flashback, the timing of it, Donovan, Detective Donovan has just gone through this major event. And I thought that was an opportunity story-wise to let the audience, let the characters sort of take a break and go into now, you know, she's on her way home to go into, well, what is this cold case I'm about to uncover, to mm. revisit? And that to me was the the moment in my instinct that I was like, this is where the audience is like, okay, you know, what is she about to uncover? And rather than, you know, the rule is don't tell me, show me, I show the audience. Yeah, I did think with the flashbacks, I, I thought you got just the right amount of information there, you know, and it didn't get too, you know, or porny or anything like that. It was just the right amount for you to just understand this horrific ordeal that took place. So I yeah, really like the way that I really affected. I really um I didn't want this on any level to be like a slasher film. And I think that the way that we deal with these murders through the eyes of a child and in a child's memory of them. Um, I've been in some traumatic events in my life, in my childhood and how I remember them are so, are so probably maybe different from that perspective than what they actually were. Mm. Um, and I thought that we needed to respect that. And, um, and I thought that that was, that was much more interesting storytelling from that, from the child's perspective, rather than. You know, we go into this scenario where it's like blood and guts and, you know, you know what's happening. You know, when young Will is walking up those stairs towards the sounds, you know exactly what's happening. Yeah. And in your mind, I didn't, um, I felt like what you would envision would be far worse than what I could possibly show you with no matter, you know, with a blank check for a budget, which I didn't have, I had no money to make this film. But <laughs> I just thought that our imagination is far greater in those pivotal moments. Mm. And I felt like staying with him, living within his space and his soul 
was far more interesting than going into, you know, the the gore of it all. The kind of, as you say, the uh, the gore porn. Yeah, no, definitely. Because yeah, as we're walking out, it says you see that fear in him and that and then just hearing the sounds and mm. just seeing that yeah that's just chilling enough right you don't you definitely mm. yeah you don't need anything else that's just like ooh, good damn it but uh <laughs> i mean i think you mentioned so you you worked with 10 veterans and a, a, a gold star sister in this film yes. and you've set up your production company um and that's part of your ethos to help veterans like yes where yeah. like where has that come from like you know what i mean like connecting veterans with films it's maybe mm. not that first instinct that you come to mm. but then when you see things like black rifle coffee you know what i mean They're right like all of, of these other things that i love black rifle coffee yeah yeah and these don't necessarily you know instantly make sense right you wouldn't right so coffee and veterans so the together. short so, answer is the short answer is i feel like in my journey in life as an artist um as a human as a person in my community i've always tried to contribute um, I'm always trying to give a voice to the marginalized. Um, you know, when the, when, you know, we had the, you know, the LA riots here, the most recent ones were, you know, there was a lot of protests. My wife and I joined those protests. It was like, what side of history are we going to be on? This is our community that's in pain. And it was adding, it was adding support to people that feel like they're not being heard. And they're not, and they're not. And so this to me was very similar. I, I've worked in the veteran community now for, for over a decade. I was one of the you know original architects, the 22 push-up challenge, which went global to bring awareness to the veteran suicide epidemic. And so, you know, I have a long history. I'm, I'm honored to have been accepted within the community. Um, I, I work every day to earn that, that privilege. So to me, this was giving, you know, opportunities to people that might not otherwise get them. And, um, and I did write some of these roles specifically. So the Wayne Cotter role was specifically written for uh, Don McAllister, uh, who is a 27 year veteran, Command Sergeant Major. And, um, you know, obviously plays a very interesting character in my film, but is just a teddy bear in real life and and um and and rudy reyes who plays solomon you know he's a, a recon marine veteran um you know when they went to cast generation kill which was the best-selling book it's a brilliant book if you haven't uh, read it by uh, evan wright they couldn't cast anybody for rudy's character that was rudy enough so they cast rudy to play himself <laughs> okay. and um and um, I, I will tell you, without giving away any spoilers, the scenes that we have by the fire between he and I, I really allowed him the space to riff of what was coming from his heart. It was just me and him and the fire. And this is a warrior. This is a warrior playing a warrior. Mm. And Rudy's part, uh, Apache, 
And I felt like the best direction I could give was to not get in the way, was to allow him that space. So everything he says by that fire is like just, it's from the heart. And it's so nuanced, it's so beautiful. And I'm so proud of him for feeling that he feeling comfortable enough to take those risks, to having the courage to be that vulnerable. Um, so, you know, part of my mission, I co-founded Team House Studios with Nate Boyer, who's a former uh, NFLer, uh, Green Beret veteran, was to give these opportunities to veterans. Um, but I think even in our storytelling, you know, my first short film was on World War II, took place on a Nazi labor camp. And I think that my, I feel like I, it's intrinsic, you know, innate in, in my storytelling to try to give a voice to those that don't have one or don't feel that they have one. And, um, and so that's where that comes from. Now, the, the bigger, bigger picture story is I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today if American soldiers did not liberate you know, my grandparents who were on a labor camp, uh, they were they were Christians that were um, prisoners of war for five years during the war in Poland and fled to Germany and then became, you know, immigrants to Canada. Um, so that's my my greater debt to pay is to those uh, men who fought in World War Two that made a sacrifice those families to make it possible for me to be here. Um, and it's something that I'll be dedicated and committed to for the rest of my life. No, that's great. But, you know, I, I think what we see, and you know, I, I think last year kind of spoke to it as well, with a lot of people will say stuff, but you don't always see the follow through, you know? And I think mm -hmm. with setting up the production company, like you're, you're just doing everything that you're saying, you know what I mean? It, it's not just mm -hmm. lip service. And I think that's the more powerful thing that you, you live by the conviction. That That's very much also the ethos, the MO of uh, you know, a lot of veterans, you know, military community is, uh, you know, action speak louder. And I don't have any outside funding. I don't have any sponsorship hiring veterans this is you know my own mission shared mission with nate boyer um you know it's i can't say enough and i don't want to sound uh, hokey or um you know inauthentic i mean from my heart you know this is our greater privilege um you know being around these men and women uh, is a great privilege and it, you know hearing their stories and then obviously what they bring to it as an artist you know stepping outside their comfort zone um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing as a storyteller, but also as a director to, to, to kind of mold and craft those performances to collaborate. And so, um, I'm not a showy person. This is not like, let's have a telethon and hire veterans on a, on a, uh, you know, broadcast, uh, telethon. This is, uh, something that's very personal and something that, you know, again, our, my commitment to it. Um, will be shown in my actions throughout future projects and, and how we can grow and expand, you know, what we're trying to to accomplish. And I and I, I say that both behind the scenes and in front of the camera and in the storytelling, mm. you know. Actually, my, my third picture, um, my second film will be the heist film I spoke about that we'll shoot in Western uh, Texas next year. My third film is something that I've been working on for 10 years, uh, researching and developing it. It's called Sheepdog. 
And that is um, an exploration into the plight of the veteran, um, returning home from conflict, assimilating back into society, mental wellness, mental health, post-traumatic growth. There's a focus on post-traumatic growth, not so much post-traumatic stress Mm. and how those worlds collide of living at your greatest you know, if you, I've been through, as I've mentioned, traumatic events in my life, I've, I've been to therapists and whatnot. And one of the healthiest, the greatest takeaways that I've, I've, I've consistently got is post-traumatic growth of like, well, how can I grow from this? How can I allow this traumatic or catastrophic event in my life to, to, to allow me to grow, to learn from, to make me stronger? Um, and obviously, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds uh, in theory. But, um, but that's the third film. And um, I think it's a, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the story. I'm so obviously grateful. I sat in front of hundreds of veterans, lived with veterans on their couches, um, was taken in by their families. And um, I, I, I can't wait to, to share that story with the world. When do you think uh, people can expect that one? Well, I, my hope, um, it would be ambitious to say, I'd like to have the cameras rolling by the end of the year uh by the end of next year by the end Mm -hmm. of 2020 that would be my hope Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it definitely sounds like a a really interesting piece and it's something that's so relevant you know we see yeah especially with, with what's happening in afghanistan and you know a lot of people had forgotten that we were still involved in a 20 year conflict and um and in my storytelling you know if, war is always political, no matter what, it's always political. This story is about the men and women. Because when you sign up, when you enlist, you know, and then you're, you're in harm's way, it is nothing to do with a politician. It's everything to do with who's to your right and who's to your left. Because mm. that in the end is what you're fighting for. All the other stuff, all the hoopla, the media nonsense, all that goes out the window. It's like, that's where you are in clear and present danger. And um, and I hope to to pay a great honor to to those stories that you know I was so fortunate to have shared with me over the years. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that for sure, and this heist one too. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Oh boy, the heist. Um, so picture an LAPD detective on the brink of retirement and a Texas Ranger also on the brink of retirement and their two worlds colliding after a violent crime is committed where both their children are involved and it's how those two worlds come together and so i can't say much more about that other than i am um very grateful to joe ward uh who i based loosely one of the characters on at the newton station here in los angeles um, and thank you to everybody at Shoot and Newton um, for their help. Uh, I've been working with uh, an undercover LAPD detective who I, I, I can't name uh, for obviously for his safety, but um, but I'm really I'm really proud of this story. I, I mean, I've worked tirelessly on it. It's not just a shoot 'em up film. I'm not inclined to to violence in that sense, uh, though there are, is a lot of action in it. Um, 
but it's a really a, a story about two families and two families from such very different backgrounds. And um, some of it's based on real stories uh, and some of it's obviously uh, within you know the realms of fiction. Um, but I'm hoping we're putting everything in place right now, all the key sort of assets to be filming in West Texas uh, in, in Big Spring. Uh, which is about four hours west of Dallas. Um, spent a lot of time there. Uh, my my best friend who gave the toast at my wedding, uh, that's his childhood home uh, town. Uh, so I think it's going to be, you know, between taking place between Los Angeles and West Texas, it's going to be, it's going to make for a really compelling uh, film. Well, I mean, I'm intrigued from just what you mentioned, you know, Reed. I'm just, it's just like, well, okay, yeah, so it's, how, where's this going to go from here? Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I can't say it enough. Uh, it, you know, it was, it, was, it was a tremendous amount of work. I mean, I, I can't show you right now, but behind me here is my board of all the stories of all the different players in the heist film of, the, the if you will the bad guys the families mm. all and how it all it's kind of like a uh, a crime scene board albeit it's the the overlay of, of my story and it's been there for a year and a half that i've been piecing it all together uh the uh you know how it all connects and whatnot yeah yeah so with that do you create actual backstories for your characters or do you just have a rough outline no, I create backstories, but I, I, I don't, I would never give the perception that I sit there and go like the backstory usually reveals itself as you're writing the character. You feel like you speak in different languages in your head of like, well, they sound that way. They would do this. They would do that. Oftentimes you're pulling it from people you might've met in your life, personal experiences you have, but the backstory gets refined with each draft for sure. Um, so you could start off with, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've uh, with these two families in the heist film, for instance, um, I had an idea. And I, of course, I met um, this. Uh, he's close to retirement, Joe Ward. Uh, uh, he's a, a detective. And there's a lot of interesting things, his frustrations. And you start to peel back the onion and you're like, oh, where does that come from? Where does that come from? And that helps to inform that backstory. And then there's things that you pull from your own life, your own experiences that you add to that. Um, but I think it's important to have that because I'm also open as a collaborator to allow any of my actors to bring their own backstories to it and share and say, well, this is what I see. This is why I see it this way. What are your thoughts? You know, mm. to get you into that place to fully embody this person. And that's, the, you know, the beauty of the collaborative experience. So, yeah, I think that that backstory, I mean, and I know as an actor, um, you know, I've, I've had, you know, the good fortune to work with some pretty big heavyweights. I remember working with uh, John Voight on um, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, which was a film that was based off the best-selling book by Mitch Albom. We, you know, we worked tirelessly on that together. I mean, we got our, our dialect down. It was a, a New York dialect that was supposed to be kind of like old world New York. We worked with a guy, a retired firefighter named Pudgy Walsh, 
who had this beautiful, rich cadence. We would do like audio recordings uh, until we got it down. Um, then you get into your walk where our character uh, was a disabled veteran. And so it's just not any kind of limp. It, there's a reason why you would walk that way. You've got a leg brace and like you start to build and layer the character all the way up so that when you're, by the time you get to set and you're calling action, um, my first day on set on that movie, it's, I had to play myself like 20 years older. So they had all this prosthetics on me. And the, and the scene is, is my wife giving me my a birthday gift, which is a watch. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a maintenance worker at a, um, at, at, at a pier and I did it in one take. And I didn't know that that was gonna happen. I, I just spent so much time with this character months that it was just all there. And when I heard the director say, cut, okay, uh, turning around, meaning for her coverage, we were all like looking up and I was thinking like, that's it? It's like, <laughs> you know, I didn't take it as necessarily a good thing. I, I you know, and John was behind the camera and he's like, you just have to trust, it's all there. I look at the monitor, it's all there. And that's the beauty when you're able to spend enough time with the characters and then doing rehearsal and whatnot, you kind of find your ebb and flow within that. And then you can just kind of make beautiful jazz on set. Yeah, yeah. So with that knowledge, right? Because you've been in this field mm. for so long. How do you like, relay this to the veterans do you kind of run through some kind of I don't know exercises do you do you do work with them bef even before you're gonna shoot a film you know just to get them into the the flow of things like how is that work so so the usually the biggest challenge that with anybody who hasn't acted before is a camera being this close to you or you know 20 feet away with a hundred people standing behind it. And you feel like compelled that you have to do something you're, or, or you, you feel nervous and you know, being, you're being watched. So usually on the most elementary level, it's just being able to like be present right here and forget about everything around you. And um, you know, from there, I try to work, I try, I, I obviously spend personal time with the veterans that we've hired to get to know them, to like get to know their stories. Um, I can't say this enough. I, my directing style, I don't come from a place of trying to pull somebody's personal story out of their life and manipulate them into getting a performance for a character. I think that, that it just doesn't work that way. I think that um, both on an ethical level, but even for the kind of storytelling that I like to do, I, you know, I like to know that you can go from one to 10 at any moment that you wish, but you're always kind of, your body is always at a five, that you yeah. also kind of, you're centered um, and you're present. Um, so typically, you know, there's a lot of discussions that go into the performance well before you ever get in front of the camera. Um, and I feel like that's where a lot of those challenges for a veteran, you know, it's my job to create a safe working environment where, the the veteran the actor feels supported and feels like um that they could take some risks that's all on me to create that environment to create a collaborative environment where they feel like if they fall i'm there to pick them up and that's where you get some of the the beauty the gold within a performance um 
And I felt like I really did get, I really achieved that on this film. Um, you know, even Nate Boyer, who plays the lead detective, you know, I've known Nate. Oh. Oh. God damn it, people. <laughs> it has happened again. Just as we are coming towards the end, I feel. But, uh, yeah. Oh. Stephen, can you, uh, we may not know <laughs> how long he knows no Nate for people, but, um, you know, either way, it's been super compelling. Oh, um, do we have... Hear me? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. If I, uh, I'll just we could end on this note. I'll um, I'll re, I'll repeat what I was saying. Um, if you're good on the connection on your end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that'd be great. Are you good on your connection there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I was just saying we can end on this note. I'll just repeat what I was saying. So, um. Directing Boyer, who I've known for years, Nate plays the lead detective, Detective Carter, in it. Nate had a lot of really great ideas coming into it. He did a lot of research. You know, I had my ideas, how I envisioned and how I wrote the character. And, you know, Nate had to take a, a pretty big leap of faith to trust me um, in my direction with him. And um, I felt like, you know, this beautiful nuanced vulnerable performance where rather than going with this sort of typical hard edged alpha male detective from Boston that I got a much more vulnerable performance, which I think is way more interesting of a guy who is kind of grasping at straws. He's estranged from, you know, his, his ex, uh, you know, single father, you know, on the case, on the trail of this horrific crime kind of world unraveling. And I feel like, you know, it's like Nate really stepped outside of himself. I mean, it's, 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 it's quite a, quite a beautiful performance and I'm, and I'm so proud of him for, for trusting me to, to take him on that journey that we shared together. No, that's great, man. Yeah. I feel like everyone really did give some really great performances in the piece. And, um, People will be able to see those performances this Friday, the 8th of October. They will. Yeah. And if you're yeah. in the UK, you'll get to see it October 29th in the UK. We're screening at uh, the 29th Raindance Film Festival in London on the 28th at the um, Genesis Theatre in London. So everybody's welcome. Oh, nice. and, um, and I'll be there in person and so will Lila. Uh, Lockhart Craner, who was the uh, played Ava in the film, um, so we will be there to support it. So October 29th in the UK and in North America, October 8th this Friday, and it will be around the world, I believe, in the next couple months. So uh, really excited to share this special film with everyone. Ah, that's great, man. That is terrific. So I hope everyone, um, yeah, people, go check it out. It is definitely an enjoyable watch. And uh, 
thank you so much for your time, Stephen. I really appreciate Kevin, it. Kevin, thank you so much. And thank you uh, for your patience with this uh, connection. Ah, these uh, these things happen, yeah. man. It's, it's happened to me before. So, yeah, I completely understand. Hopefully, we can get you back to talk about um, the heist film and um, sleeping dog, sheep dogs, sheep dogs. Sheepdog, sheepdog. Yes, yes, indeed. All right, Kevin, you'll be good. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate you. Be safe. You too, man. Thanks, man. All right, okay. take care. Okay, people. So, yes, that was it. That was it, right? How great was Steve? I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Looks like he's got some great projects coming out. And, um, yo, if you're now intrigued, you know what I mean? Secret of the Shudashay, it is out in the U.S. tomorrow, Friday the 8th. Um, UK, you're going to wait uh, oh, two weeks, maybe three weeks to, you know, the 28th. But, um, yeah, do it, people. Uh, go check it out. Support Stephen. Um, yeah, you know, definitely really really get that creepiness vibe up in you, man. So, uh, yeah, do it. Secret of the Shinache, people. Enjoy, and we will see you next week. But remember, our London Film Festival coverage is going down every day. So, uh, enjoy that, and we will see you uh, next week. All right? Peace!